0: Hey, if you've got a Bible or iPad or iPhone, let's turn to the book of James. I'm in a series uh, called Soul Rest, and uh, I wanna take you for the next couple of minutes into a couple of things that I'm gonna introduce. You know, depression and anxiety is something that is not new. That's something as people have been dealing with in our society and the ways to combat it. But it's interesting to me what the Bible says about this area of depression, anxiety, and how it affects our souls. And mental health is a, is a, thing, that, a thing you're hearing now. And the Bible actually it references this subject in a lot of different, very way, in a lot of different ways. And actually, we're going to look at the life of Elijah today. But also in the Bible, Moses, for example, uh, David, uh, Job, Samson, and Saul, all in detail, dealt with depression, anxiety, and mental health. As well as, unfortunately, in the New Testament, there was Judas. Judas, of course, dealt with these things, and he was a was Jesus' disciple. He actually uh, hung himself. However, However, we're going to look at the life of the prophet Elijah. He's mentioned in the New Testament and other places, but more specifically in James chapter 5. Listen to what it says here about in, in verse 16. It says, confess your trespasses one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent, or passionate, aggressive prayer of a righteous person avails much. And notice that's the foundation. Then it goes into verse 17. It's interesting. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now, isn't that interesting? Here's a man, and if you don't know anything about Elijah, he did a lot of supernatural things. We're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19 here in just a minute. I'm just going to summarize those. But it says, he was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Months. That's pretty powerful praying, is it not? <laughs> and it says in verse 18, and he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced his fruit. Over in 1 Kings and again, I want to encourage you uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19 is the story of uh, this man Elijah, the man, the prophet Elijah. So there's not a much, there's not a lot mentioned about his life as far as prior to his ministry as a prophet, uh, but it, it picks up in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, and it's in 18, 19, and it's more the specifically the ministry, the supernatural ministry of this great man of God. And I'm just going to take you on a summary through this. Again, I would like for you to, I want to encourage you in understanding what I'm going to talk about and how I'm getting to the main point here in a couple of minutes is to read these three chapters, 17, 18, and 19, because he is actually and again, I'm not here to talk about this, he could be possibly the second witness that they mention in the book of Revelation. Some say it's Enoch and Elijah that, you know, because both of these men God took from the earth, they never died physically, and they could be in the book of Revelation, the second witness. But anyway, not here to talk about the book of Revelation, but I'm here to talk about Elijah, and it says over here in verse seven, it says, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead uh, said to Ahab, and so who is Ahab? King Ahab was a a king about a hundred years after King David. And here, the, here was the problem King David was a perfect king, loved the Lord, loved God with all his heart, and did what was right before the Lord concerning Israel. And about a hundred years later, this is about 800 years before Jesus came, there was this king called Ahab, and he was wicked. He was taking Israel in the complete wrong direction, worshiping these gods, these false gods, especially uh, the god Baal, and uh, they were heading in the wrong direction. And the Lord comes upon this prophet Elijah and he sends him to the king, and he does this. He says in verse uh, chapter seventeen, verse one, he says there will not be dew nor rain these three years except my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, and notice the personality of this man. This man is hilarious, and uh, he says verse number three. He says, "Get away from here, go eastward, hide yourself at the brook Cherith, which flows into Jordan." This is verse four, and he says, "And you shall drink from the brook, and you and I've." Commanded ravens to feed you. Their birds came to feed Elijah. This is the original Chick Fil A uh, operation set in motion. In verse number five, and when he went, and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and stayed at this brook at Cherith, which flows by the Jordan or flows into the Jordan. Excuse me. And ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. But after the brook dried up, there was no rain. And then it goes into chapter. It goes into chapter seventeen. Talks about Elijah and the widow and how he revives the son. And I'm going to get back to that next week. But for the sake of time, I just want to move you forward to chapter 18, verse 1. It said, after all these days, basically three years, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah again in the third year and says, go present yourself to King Ahab. So picture this, ladies and gentlemen. There's this famine. There's this pestilence going on because there's been no rain on the earth. And notice what it says in verse number 18. This is when he, when he went and met with King Ahab, and this is what King Ahab says in verse 17. And remember, King Ahab and his wife were wicked people, okay? They were not for the Lord at all. And this is what he says, Oh, you troubler of Israel. And he answered and he said this, in verse number eighteen of chapter eighteen, he said, "But this is what Elijah said: I have not troubled Israel, but you and your fathers have. You have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the followed the Baals or these gods." In verse number nineteen, he says, "Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel." Now this is a mountain in a plateau there in Israel. I was watching the videos of this area, and actually, it has the whole area and it's this memorial with this giant statue of King uh, of uh, Elijah there, and how he, uh, he asked the king to assemble 450 prophets as well as the prophets of the Lord all on this area and on this place, okay? And so what happens here in in chapter 18, verse 20, and I can, and again, for the second time, I'm just summarizing this. What he does is he says, all right, you bring all your prophets here. I'm gonna bring the prophets of the Lord. We're gonna gather together on this site and we're gonna build two altars. We're gonna build an altar that worships God and we're gonna build an altar that worships your false gods and whoever when we it says in verse 24 whoever we're going to call upon the name of the lord or we're going to call upon our gods and whoever answers by fire that's whom he's going to serve isn't that awesome He's, he's dictating what's going to happen here. And he says, if I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord, you call upon whoever. And then throughout the chapter, you got to read this. Now, you got to take the time to read it. It's going to help you. Then <laughs> They build these, uh, I went and saw the videos, uh, videos, videos of it this week. This hilarious, especially in the cartoon networks. You have know, the cartoons with it anyway. Uh, those are really good, by the way. Those animations are really good. Anyway, he begins to make fun of them as they're, they're crying out to their... Their God Baal and you know asking him to come down so he instructs his people to take water and build this trench of water and pour water over his sacrifice and he's mocking them he even says in one verse he says is your God sleeping maybe he needs to be awakened." <laughs> This man was so bold. And so uh, they pour all this water on the sacrifice. He prays, and guess what happens? Fire comes down from heaven and actually draws the water out too. And I mean, all these prophets of Baal, I mean, their mouths are hanging wide open. And guess what this man does after that? At the end of this chapter, he takes those 450 prophets down from that hill area, and with one sword, he by himself kills 450 men. I mean, this is the original Rambo of the Bible, is it not? <laughs> okay, I mean, this guy is awesome in the fact of how he stands for God. He's got this absolute passion from God, and then in the end of this chapter, he meets the king of, meets the king Ahab again and says, "Okay, now that all this is over with, there's going to be rain." Like it is right now, I'm looking at the wind, it's raining. And, it's, he's, and so the king says, okay. And then so they're going back to Jezreel. <clears throat> and so the king, this is so fun, you got to read this. He is with the king at this area and they're going back to Jezreel. He, the king gets on his chariot and, I, and Elijah runs beside him and outruns the king's chariot. I'm telling you what the hand of it says, the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he outran, it said he girded up his loins. That dude was moving <laughs> to outrun a to horses of the king. And so he gets to chapter 19. All these supernatural things have happened to this great man of God. And in chapter 19, verse 1, listen to what happens here. And Ahab. This is King Ahab, told his wife Jezebel, who was his queen, who was a wicked woman, all that Elijah had done and how he executed the prophets with a sword. And verse 2, Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of the one of them by tomorrow at this time. This woman is something else, is she not? She's threatening to kill him. And look what it says in verse number 3. And when he saw that he arose and he ran from his life ran for his life Now, he killed 450 prophets, stands before the king. He runs to Beersheba and goes to Judea, leaves his servant there, takes another day's journey into the wilderness. He comes and sits under a broom tree. You ever seen what a broom tree is? A broom tree is a tree that looks sort of like a mushroom, okay? They're very popular over in in that part of the world. It's just a tree that goes like that with, it's sort of flat and looks like a mushroom. He sits under this broom tree, check it out, and this is what he says. Listen to this. And he prayed that he might die. He went from all these supernatural events with God, supernatural things he did. And now he's crying out because of the threat of the woman, of one woman. He says this. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, Is it not enough now? Lord, take my life. I am no better than my father's. Mercy. I mean, you talk about a perplexed perplex personality. What's going on here? And then, verse number five of chapter 19 says, Then he laid under this tree. He slept again. And suddenly, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. He looked, and there was a head at his head. There was a, a cake baked on the coals. All right, there was a fire created, and there was this cake. says so it was a jar of water. And so he ate it and drank. And then it says here in verse number six, and he laid down and went back to sleep. He was tired. <laughs> so after all that running all that killing he was tired what was going on here what was happening here this man was going from victory to defeat all in one setting and ladies and gentlemen I'm telling you what Elijah dealt with mental issues just like people did today this depression or this anxiety about this woman is a serious thing not only with us today but it was back there then how do you deal with it well I'm going to show you how again I won't be able to talk about it all today but now uh, we'll, uh, we'll reference this. Pastor Chris Hodges, this is Church on the Highlands. This is a book entitled Out of the Cave, which I'm actually gonna talk about the, the premise of this, which is Elijah. Uh, I just started the book, so uh, uh, again, I heard him recently on a radio interview for a lengthy radio, describing the testimony in this book, how he fought and overcame depression, how he absolutely made the decision that he was gonna stand against. This man pastors uh, probably 25 locations in the state of Alabama, as far as churches, has over 60,000 people in attendance and a tremendous man of God. But he wrote this book last year and said one of the severest battles with depression he ever had was last uh, summer. And he shares all that in this book. And again, I, I just encourage you to get this book. I'm in the midst of reading it and it talks and it sort of parallels his testimony with Elijah's testimony, and he gives some other things that I, again, I'm looking forward and continuing to reading in the book. But I want to point out to you, number one, depression can happen after a significant event, after something happens in your life significantly. Maybe there's a breakthrough. Maybe there's a supernatural thing like Elijah did. Then depression or anxiety or this mental challenge. You see, for the trigger, in my opinion, for Elijah was Queen Jezebel. She triggered something in him that caused him to flee caused him to fear, and caused him to actually go in what I see is as uh, losing his identity and this depression, and he entered into self-pity, he entered into isolation, as we're gonna read about further and study further. Isolating yourself is never a healthy thing. And what was the trigger in his life? Could, that was the trigger in his life. The question is, what is the trigger in your life? What is the thing that throws you into this state? Again, uh, Sheila... After we had Allison, uh, she went into this type of, I do don't—I wouldn't call it, she called it depression, or it was just a mental challenge with her after having a baby. I didn't quite understand it. She didn't quite understand it. What well, we persevered through, Allison, when she was born, uh, she was a very, uh, how do I say high-maintenance young lady, okay? I mean, she was full of energy. She was aggressive. She's, she's completely opposite now. But uh, it affected Sheila. It affected me to a certain degree because I'm like, man, she would never stop crying. She was just all this whatever, and it was hard to get her to sleep. And now I always go into her room now, knock on the door, and open the door, and she's all... (laughs) It's so awesome. (laughs) No, she doesn't snore like that. But it is to watch her sleep peacefully compared to when she was a baby. I was like, dear Lord, we used to put her in between uh, her and Sheila and I when we were first married, and she would wiggle, 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 wiggle. And uh, now to see her just sleep so peacefully, it's just, uh, I know sometimes she wonders, why is daddy and mother watching me while I sleep? You just don't know what we went through those first couple of years, but she worked it so well. But anyway, Sheila had to fight that. And maybe when something happens to you, whether it's a situation like that, maybe that's when Satan sort of creeps in. Because let me share with you this. Don't let your guard, point number two, don't let your guard down and get lulled into a false sense of security only to be blindsided by something. You say, Pastor Brian, I want my life to be nothing With I never have any troubles. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, the only way that's gonna happen is for you to die and go to heaven, okay? I mean, I love you. I appreciate that desire. I know Jesus is Lord, God is good. Our Father God is powerful, but I'm telling you what, problems exist and challenges exist and disappointments are out there. We just have to deal with them. But hey, just like Mr. Wendell Sanders said, he was talking, we were talking about you know, the day after, it was literally hours, we were at his house, uh, me and Jonathan and Robert and Richard and Billy, and we were just gathered there at his house and literally, it we just went to heaven around four o'clock this morning, the four o'clock that, that Friday morning or Saturday morning early. We were there around 8.30 and nine. And he came out and he was on the porch chair and he was talking and he said, if it weren't for the grace and if it weren't for the Lord, I don't know how a person deals with these kind of things. Being married well, almost sixty-three years and going through all this, and and that's the thing that separates us from the world. The world goes to the bottle. The world goes to drugs, or go, the world goes to this, or goes to that. You and I go to the Lord, even though there are problems and there are challenges and there are big old question marks. But as I say here, don't let your guard down. Don't let you always be on the defensive. Always be on the offensive with Satan, because he's going to try to slip around the back, and he's going to try to hit you with something or take a situation and really come after you, especially what we was talking about, you know, sometimes you sow a gift like we were talking about our financial situation. Satan tries, but many times if you get past the smoke screen or what I call the, the moment of challenge and move past that, I'm telling you what, it's a battle, it's a warfare. General George Patton impressed me many years ago when he said, I study the ways of my enemy. If I know what my enemy's doing, I'm better prepared to defeat them every single Time. The reason that George Patton in World War II defeated Erwin Rommel, the great German general, is because he went and read his book. He read his book on warfare and he knew that Rommel was per- pretty much going to do what he said in his book. And if you watch the movie Patton, it shows one of those scenes where he uses cuss words I can't use, but he says, I read your book and sure enough he he found out listen, ladies and gentlemen, we can read Satan's book. And by the way, the older you get, the more you begin to understand what I call demonic patterns. Demonic patterns are when he he knows the right time and the right area to knock on your door in the right way. He's very subtle by and he's basically powerless unless you yield. But he knows how to set you up and get you into self-pity and as I talk about next week, he isolates you and he gets you into woe is me. Like what, what was going on here with with uh, Elijah? <laughs> Elijah was with through all this. I mean, Elijah, I mean, can you imagine you're talking to the Lord and commanding the weather? How many of us complain about the weather? And I hear thousands and millions of people talk about you can do nothing about the weather. Here's this man is the ultimate meteorologist in the Lord controlling the rain. He's out running. I mean, he's confronting the king. Out running the king's chariot, he's having angels come and visit him. Would it be pretty awesome if you woke up and there was Chick Fil A at your house? I mean, it just appeared. And the reason I mean Chick Fil A is because a friend, a musician friend of mine, calls it the Lord's chicken. <laughs> anyway. But I mean, you know, just things like supernatural things. And then you go into this mode of questioning, you know, who am I? Just kill me. Take me. Well, listen, I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to watch these triggers. And in Mark chapter four, let me wrap it up with this today. Mark chapter four, and we'll close with this. Mark chapter four, Jesus said something here about why Satan does what he does. And we need to be aware of it. Mark chapter four, this is the great parable that Jesus said that we must understand. Again, I'm not here to teach about the detail this parable because I don't have time, but I'm here to open up to you verse 13. Jesus says in Mark 4, he says, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word, Verse number 15, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, when they're doing what they're, when they're acting on what God has told them, notice what it says, Satan comes immediately and takes this word, this revelation, this victory that was sown in their hearts. And then he lists other things here. It talks about the cares of this world, talks about deceitfulness of riches, other things entering in, choking the word of God. And again, this is not to get you in a place of fear. I'm just saying you've got to be aware and be on guard and like I said again in the other point don't let your guard down let me tell you something you stand strong and you know when it's coming you just move on past it and thank God for scriptures where you can say, no weapon formed against me. I know what you're trying to do. I'm going to hold my peace. I'm not going to respond and react. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I mean, again, some of the greatest times of agitation come sometimes after the greatest victories, especially with a husband and wife. You may have a season where, you know, you had this great time together. You went on this vacation or whatever. Then, you, you know, again, you're in a fight. I, li- I was listening to a, a pastor friend of mine who was good friends with, with Dr. Billy Graham, and he was asking about the marriage of Billy and Ruth Graham. And um, it was interesting, She, she he said that, uh, someone asked her one time, um, she said, did you ever contemplate divorce with Dr. Graham? Now this is Billy Graham, you know, the famous evangelist. She said, never did I contemplate a divorce with Billy Graham. However, murder crossed my mind many times. <laughs> so, praise the Lord. I was like, whoa, how about that? Okay. Anyway, Anyway, moving right along. Anyway, how many of you heard the story of that time? You know, you, you she would be arrested today if she did this. But how many of you ever heard of the Piggly Wiggly stores? Okay. They're in the south. We call them the pig and, and, and where I have come from in Alabama. The pig. Anyway, that's where my parents shop. Well, anyway, she was at the pig. This was a long time ago. Ms. Ruth Graham. Dr. Graham was traveling. He's winning the world and she's raising, I mean, they had all these kids. I mean, they had a house full and she's raising all these kids and they were all young. They were like, Anyway, she had him at the pig. And when the son, Franklin, which was the oldest son, was giving her the hardest time. He was full of energy, full of life. I mean, she had to put a, a leash on him all the time. I mean, he's running down the aisles and, and taking this out of it and destroying that. Anyway, she finally gets all her groceries, all the kids, gets out of the car. And she had had enough of him. They're loading the groceries. She's got the trunk. She literally takes Franklin by the collar and throws him in the back with the groceries and the tire and shuts the lid and drives off nearly 20 minutes to their house. 20 minutes and opens the car and he's about, you know, like that, you know, as far as, you know, looks like he'd seen a ghost. Anyway, he he calmed down for an entire month. (laughs) Anyway, my point with all that is sometimes you just get to that point. You say, that's God's, you know, that's one of the greatest evangelists and that's his wife. I know Satan pushes us. And they had the worst problems with Franklin. I mean, he, you read his book, he was a rebel with a cause. And I mean, he pushed his parents to the very brink. And now I look at Franklin all these years later. And I was with Dr. Graham and Franklin when they were there at Texas Stadium. I'll never forget, Dr. Graham and Franklin came up and Franklin was helping his dad. This was in 2002. And uh, I I could see the love these two had for one another. And I'm telling you, the point with all this is Satan can push your buttons. Satan can drive you. But you never know as you stand in faith, as you believe God, as you stand on God's promises like the Graham family did. Look what happened to Franklin. He is one more person people to Jesus Christ through technology and through all the outreaches has brought the ministry to this greatest level, the Billy Graham Evangelist Association, greater than his father because the parents didn't give up and didn't let go of what God had promised them and God's faithfulness and God's word. And they allowed their son, even though it was hard in the beginning, challenging through teenage years, God turned it around because they didn't give up. Isn't that awesome? You know, and Satan says, I'm going to take your son, I'm going to take this, and this is going to happen to them, and they're never going to do this, and they're never going to do that. Don't give up on it. Don't give up. And even though you may question, you may get into a dark time about them. It may be like Elijah. You may come to that place where, Lord, I don't understand why this is happening or why is this going on. Listen, don't give up. Be sensitive, point number three, of Satan's tactics that come to steal your breakthrough. Come to steal the victory. Come to steal the promise of God. I did my part as a father, and I traveled, though, many years. But I'm going to tell you something. Sheila is honorable, faithful, consistent, diligent, and she knows and understands what a child is thinking. You may not bring your children to I mean, you may not come to church because of me because I'm not, you know, Mr. Famous whatever or wear skinny jeans or whatever, you know, or have muscle body, Uh, you know. I mean, I thought some of these guys, man, they're all muscled and fatigued and look like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 80s. I'm just not there yet. I'm I'm working on it. I do my 10,000 steps a day, okay? But I just really don't have time to go to the gym, you know. I'm trying to keep up with everything and do whatever. But I'm I'm walking. I, I weigh 180 pounds. I mean, I'm pretty healthy. And But at the same time, bring your children because behind that wall back there is life-changing ministry. It's not entertaining them and blowing up, blow, uh, you know, we're blowing up things and, you know, having rock stars come and appear and all this and passing out $10,000 worth of candy. Sheila's imparting to them the word of God. And I'm telling you what, when you raise a child on this word of God right here, like Franklin Graham was raised, there'll come a day when that all comes to fruit. My own mother is the witness of that. How she, after year after year, she persuaded me on and on to come to, to Southside Baptist Church. And she never gave up and never gave in. And one day on October the 16th, 1983, it all came to fruition. And here I am today. Because faithfulness and trusting God, even when the storms and anxiety and depression and mental faults Listen, you've got to do what we're going to see next week. You've got to get up and be like uh, the, the angel told Elijah. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to close with this. The angel said, you've got to get up and you've got to go. Because God is faithful and he will never let you down. Trusting God is not just a good idea. Not just something we preach about. Trusting God will save your life and give you the right life. It will give you the best life possible. I guarantee you. Even though storms come, challenges come, questions come, politicians come, governments come, kings come, and they all go, but Jesus is Lord, and trusting him is always the way to go. Father, we just love you. We thank you so much for your promises, your power, and your provision, and right now, I pray over every person, the sound of my voice, if they're dealing with dark days, if they're dealing with thoughts of this, that, or that, they're dealing with things that are telling them they can't, I'm saying in the name of Jesus, they can, and I'm speaking to them a rising up in their spirit, an actual Call to arms, that they will have the family that you called them to have. They will have the children, the grandchildren, and they will have the job situation that you promised, and they will have the peace of you that passes all understanding. We thank you for the victory in these areas. We thank you for the promises that are you are not only faithful, but you are dependable in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, quickly as Jonathan's coming up, we're going to close this service. We've got several people that are dealing with COVID as far as people that we know in different churches and ministries and things like that we have one person in our church family that's this overcoming it and i have nothing but a good report but we also have two people that are going into this week having um surgical procedures and so right now we're just going to pray and agree right now for their success if you need prayer of agreement concerning your body and healing dave and shelby will be glad to pray with you and agree with you and encourage you and help you and give you scriptures. We have all kinds of materials here because we, as well as not only them, but all of us want you to know that Jesus' plan is for you to walk in health. And uh, right now, let's pray for those three specific people. Father, we come in in the name of Jesus, thanking you right now for these procedures this next week that will be successful peaceful, and be absolutely in detail what these two individuals need in Jesus' name. We want to thank you that no weapon formed against this body and our it will prosper, and we thank you that in Jesus' name, those that are dealing with any kind of immune-related challenges, we come in the strong name of Jesus, and thank you, Lord, for the protection over our immune systems, for life and strength and power from the top of our heads to the bottom of our feet, that no disease, germ, or virus will come near our dwelling. We'll do our part. We'll stay in the protection of you, but we want to praise you for your supernatural protection, your supernatural healing. And even though the world is preaching fear to a certain degree, we're standing in faith, trusting you and letting you lead us and guide us and direct us on what to do with our lives, our families, and of course, our bodies that are dedicated to you. In Jesus' name, amen.